This is Des McLean Streetcast number 12 and part 2 of a stand-up comedy special where another five comics tell me about death. Yes, their death. Death on stage. This is the end, beautiful friend. This is the end, my only friend, the end. Yes, this is what people really want to hear. Punters don't want to hear about you doing well. No, they're no interested in your good gigs. They want to hear about your pain, your humiliation. When a team gets cuffed 9-0, we want to see that whole demolition, that annihilation. We watch X Factor to see the Nuggets in the first few weeks embarrass themselves in front of the whole nation. That's what we want. And it reminds me of a wee joke. Two comedians, old pals, bump into one another. They haven't seen one another for five years. And the first one says, hey, I lost your mobile number, so what have you been up to? The other guy says, uh, did you know see my six-part comedy sketch show on BBC? It, it, it won all the awards at the British Comedy the other night. No, 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 I didn't see it. No, I must have been working. What else have you been up to? Did you know hear my, my, my comedy sketch show on the radio? It won, it won a Sony Radio Award. No, nobody tells me anything. Uh, are you still doing your stand-up? Oh, I, I died on my arse the other week in the comedy store. Oh, aye, we all heard about that one. <laughs> aye, oh, we heard about that, all right. It's so true. Bad news travels fast. I'm now joined by one of my favourite comedians, top compare headliner from up and down the country. Uh-huh. I'll edit that bit <laughs> later on. <laughs> i say that to other boys. Yeah. Now, um... I'm going to have to ask you to be honest with me here, right? Really You're honest. an outspoken man, I right? Am. And you are always honest. Mm-hmm. Could you please tell me about the worst experience in your comedy career? A uh, death or two, please, well, I'll, Joe? I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you firstly about a review I got at uh, the Edinburgh Festival. This was 1999, so 11 years ago. Just when I was kind of starting out in the, in the road to, to, to comedy heaven. It was called Stevie Silver's Gnostic Cabaret, and it was woefully bad, terribly bad. Uh, How long did this run for? It was uh, 20, 25 nights, <laughs> 25 nights of death. And, uh, and the review was this, uh, uh, Stevie Silver's, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, Stevie, Stevie Silver's knows that cabaret, three comedians, one piano, no laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> was that an unfair review? <laughs> no, not on. Not on. It was woeful. Did you know that every night this whole marathon run was just going to be shocking? <laughs> we were at the door going, please, Nathan, turn up. Please, Nathan, turn up. <laughs> Five folk turned up one night. Four of them Japanese, one guy German. Uh, <laughs> I've never spent 40 yeah, That's probably the best you went doing. Well... <laughs> It was, uh, uh, honestly, that night was not too bad. That was, that was, <laughs> because they didn't understand anything. There was, there was <laughs> they, didn't get, they didn't get a word there. They were just like, they were in Japanese, like really polite. So going, oh, I must call. <laughs> oh, nice piano playing. And that was, it was just woeful. Let's terrible. hope that foreigners come in. There's no big, there's no big huffs. 
no shakes of the head. It was just one of the worst experiences in my entire life. Uh, but another another really bad. Well, this is like the solo now. I did a gig in Exeter at the timepiece in Exeter. So when I first kind of started it, and the first kind of trip down south, I was like, "Well, I'm off. look at me, the big man, the comic traveling. I'm on tour." <laughs> Doing the timepiece in Exeter, and I'm a bit nervous. Big room, bit nervous, uh, and. Uh, uh, I got about half cut before the show. Oh, right. right. So this is my first kind of experience down south. So I'm just rambling. I'm talking shite. My, my Scottish accent's too strong. They can't understand the word I'm saying. Just death. Just <sighs> death. Right. I'm half cut. I'm going. What's, what's going on? How can I? How can I retrieve this situation? <laughs> right. So I just went. Hey, right, what? What? What do you guys want? Right. I, just, I even said want. You know, instead, yeah, instead yeah. of want. You know, what, what do you guys want? Right. And this and this guy at the front. I just always remember this guy at the front went. Ten minutes of our lives back. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Heenan, thank you so much. No bother, mate. No bother. <laughs> Thanks for the memories. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Desi's here with his street cast. You can't play bass. In the summer, I was the MC of a nationwide competition called Take the Mic, and the prize money was 12 grand. So you're going to have to be good to win that. I'm now sitting beside the winner, Mr. John Scott. John. Your days of dying on stage, they must be well behind you now after winning that competition. Well, it's funny you've asked me to do this this week, Des, because my biggest desk was, was Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> this week? <laughs> this week, aye. <laughs> I was sorry about my timing. I know, well, it was good. Well, it was, it's, it's fresh in my head anyway, like, you know, and it was a death that went on for a while. Uh, well, I explain, it was, you know me, I do sportsman's dinners at times, and I'm always, usually there's a speaker, I'm at the top table, and then I stand at the top table, I do a half hour routine, and that's the end of the night. But this was a boxing night, so there was like a speaker, and there was a raffle, and then there was me, oh, there was just so much going on. I eventually got on stage about 11 o'clock at night, and the boxing still hadn't been on. And, uh, and that's when I discovered I wasn't going to be standing at the top table, I was to get up into the ring, right? And it's the first time I've ever, had, it's the first time I've ever stepped on a stage where I've had my shoes inspected before going on stage. <laughs> like, so I'm standing getting my shoes dusted down, but when I step in the ring, I'm like, all right, this is interesting. So, yeah, and you've got basically my audience is a bunch of like big testosterone, baldy men. I look like performing a box of Maltesers, really, right around the ring, right? And uh, they're just waiting for the boxing. I was like, well... It shouldn't be so bad. I'm like, I'm experienced with this. So you, you know what happens? You throw out your first three gags, nothing. And, you're like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, this is trouble. Then you start, it's like, you snatch at a routine. But what happened is, did this routine. It's, it's about a wee idea that I do, a, a new thing about, it would be great to have Scottish people swearing on the news. It works everywhere. Started it, and it started to take off. And it was fine. I was like, oh, that's it. I'm, I'm up and running. I'm out of this. And I finished that routine. And then back to nothing again. <laughs> like, right? There was a table for the lads, thankfully, that were being helpful. But they were miles away through the ring, sitting up the back, some blokes with Sunderland that knew me. And uh, they were laughing and applauding for as much as they could before it became an embarrassment to them as well, like, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the other one, the, the heckle that, that eventually finished me when I was about 20 minutes in, I went in and I was like, right, I'll do this stuff that my wife's a Macam, she's no, she's a Geordie, right? And somebody just shouted, no, she's no, she's a Geordie, we saw you at the Heine Comedy Club two months ago, like. And for there, I'm in Sunderland, I'm sitting with two captains for the Sunderland football team. And I was just finished by then, right? But it gets better. Because after that, I was like, right, I need to get out of here. And they're like, the guy that was paying me went, 
that was fine. I've seen people have a much worse time like you. <laughs> so like, he pays me and he goes, look, stay for a drink. So I'm like, all right, I'll stay for a drink for a wee bit and be polite. Then everybody clears out and there's about 20 of us, all the movers and shakers left around this table. And somebody produces a microphone and they start handing it around the table for everybody to say their wee funny bit, isn't it? And you can imagine, I've already died. Right? <laughs> now, now my death's been extended to after dinner, after dinner death. Like, you know, this is uh, tea and coffee and mint's death now I'm having. And I, I'm thinking... I'm still going to be dying on the taxi on the way home in the taxi or something. So they're asking, it's not going to end this. They're asking you to come back as a ghost and die in your hole again. That's it, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm now here with a very popular comedian, Mr. John Ross. Um, you're a cool cat. You're a laid-back guy. Right, and you've got a brilliant deadpan style on stage. Very, very funny. But has that deadpan ever turned to death? Yeah, I suppose um, my most memorable um, death was uh, when I was just about um, the 20-minute mark in my, um, my repertoire. And I, I, got asked, I got asked to do a, a gig in Barella to fill in for a comic that, that pulled out and... I said yeah at the time because I thought any gigs, any gig really. So I went up to Burrell, that's just off Byers Road, and it's a really nice sort of bar Burrell, and it's got a, a back um, sort of bit, of a lounge bit that's got covered in glass, and it's a really romantic, nice place to play. To, to play. And they've put a stage on one side, and it's I've seen it busy, and it's fantastic. But uh, that night there was only two people <laughs> at the gig. <laughs> two tickets. <laughs> there was only two tickets sold. And rather than just pull the gig, the bar pushed everybody from the bar. <laughs> they put, I mean, the bar was quite busy, but the lounge bit where the gig is was only two people in it. So they pushed everybody through to the, 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 the lounge where I was playing and set up stage and everything. And the audience did the change from a bar audience and yeah, a watching a comedy audience. They just continued to be a bar audience. Everybody sitting around tables chatting and everything. And it was like, you know, here's John Ross. And nobody actually turned and looked or anything. And I just started playing. And I, 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 the analogy I, I could think that described it best was the fact that it was like a, a sort of, a, you know, a hotel lounge a piano player. Um, just as there, and you don't really notice them, and that was the, the, the comedy equivalent of that piano player. I was standing on stage doing all my dead ma- pan material, and I'd, at one point, about 10 minutes into my set, I realised that nobody, barring the two people that had actually paid for tickets, were actually watching me. So my de- I got my voice to a certain level that I was talking at the same rate as the, the level of the room, so nobody knew I was doing any comedy except for these two people. And the most memorable bit, at the very end of the gig, the two people who were watching started clapping when I said, that's me, thank you, good night. They started clapping, and about four tables around them jumped out of their songs because <laughs> <laughs> they just didn't notice there was anybody there. And after it, I felt, you know, it was just that I felt, is this what comedy's about? I, I kind of, for about two or three weeks after it, I thought, is that, is that what the, my future holds? Sort of get into rooms that, that maybe no work. I mean, it's obviously got better since then, but aye, it was pretty bad at the time. Life, but it happens to us all. John, <laughs> thanks so much. Cheers. I'm now joined by Scott Agnew, former Scottish Comedian of the Year, right, a couple of years back, and runner-up 
in the nationwide competition, which I compared, take the mic, he came so close. A rare, a, a unusual, very unique comedian in Scotland. I think everybody just about likes you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I could be wrong. Uh, so, uh, I'm sure there's somebody there. That's as much flattery as you're going to get, Scott. Can I, I now ask to bring you down a wee bit and tell me about um, your worst death, a very bad comedy experience, please. Uh, well, I've got many, many deaths <laughs> to choose from because uh, when I started for the first five years, I was absolutely and utterly gash. <laughs> there is not a room in Glasgow that I have not died on my chuffle, right? Uh, I, 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 so many, so many I could mention. Is uh, it true they called you the human torch because you torched everything? <laughs> I torched quite a few rooms uh, and it got ridiculous. There used to be a Tuesday night gig, uh, Bar Zoo, oh, which yeah. I, I ended up comparing, uh, and I regularly died in my backside at that. And it, the thing was, there was quite a supportive crowd that came along every week uh, to watch me dying much off. <laughs> and we'd done a week in a special sort of before Christmas, and we had a karaoke night. <laughs> and the regular crowd were there, and I got up and I'd done two karaoke numbers. And one of the audience goes, Can you know just sing every week? <laughs> So that that was that's that was that was one of the most depressing things. One of the worst deaths uh, I was doing a gig in a pub in Rutherland called Doctor Gorman's. Mm-hmm. It was one of Rutherland's first style bars. <laughs> Sounds great already. <laughs> they never really managed to get rid of the regulars. <laughs> <laughs> so it was still all these old boys that you know the kind of pub where it doesn't matter. These guys have known one another for twenty five years, but they still sit at certain points of the bar, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter if your back's to the guy, they'll still have a conversation. You know, oh, did you see the football last night? <laughs> Don't even look at one another, right? So they're all sitting there with their halves. So I go on stage and I, I'm trying to engage in a bit of banter and try to chat to them, and they're just staring at me. And I'm going through my pattern and all the rest. And this, and the way that the stage, you kind of was was pretty close to the bar, and there was an old boy sitting on the high stool, and it was the first he'd moved, and he kind of just swung round, like big man. You remind me a lot of Tommy Cooper. I was like, oh, thanks a lot. That's have a good. Aye, he died in stage as well, <laughs> which is a proper kick in the chuck. And that was the first that there was a laugh in the whole room. The rest of the room, well, hey, <laughs> a cheer. You're just standing there like a plum. <laughs> You're the last turkey in the show at Christmas. Like that. And how was that feeling? Uh, it's just that. It's that thing you're going, I'm trying my best. You know, I'm trying my best here. And I'm clearly just upsetting you. I'm ruining your night. <laughs> You've come out for a quiet pint, a bit of entertainment, and I'm just an absolute letdown and a disappointment. You know, I, and there's... <laughs> the thing is, there's nothing you can do. You, no, you, no. You, you fight and you fight and you fight. And the more you try, the less likely they are to laugh, you know. Absolutely. Uh, and at that point, I still cared. <laughs> so, you know, I really, you know, I'll come on and laugh at something and you're trying to roll with, with their insults, but nah, it's, it's gone. Scott Agnew, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> I'm now joined by Charlie Ross, stand-up comedian and comedy author. I've just finished your book, Smiles and Tribulations. Tribulations. Now, is there any deaths on stage that come to mind, one in particular maybe? 
There is one. It's funny with Des. The early ones you really care about. The latter ones you don't really. It's actually I think Des are quite funny now. But three years ago, I was doing a gig for Johnlers, and comedians will know that Johnlers is a kind of it's a big earner, and it's good to get some regular work. They're a big company. I was booked to do a Friday, Saturday in Edinburgh, and I was first on. And I walked out there, and I'm not using this by any means of a, as an excuse, but uh, there was a table, a stag dude, just to the right of the stage, and they were really noisy throughout the comp here, and they started off being really noisy with me as well. They settled down a wee bit, and I got off to a flyer, first few lines, huge big laughs, that was fine, I've done it, I'm okay. I think that was the key for me relaxing just a little bit too much, because then they started to talk a wee bit, and I had a dilemma, because as they started to talk, I would normally have gone and dealt with them, but the bouncer went over to deal with them at the same time, so I kind of turned to go and deal with them, and then saw the bouncer was there, and turned away, and then forgot what I was saying, and got a wee bit thrown, and that was it, after that point, you've, you've lost us, we've lost you, we don't care, half of them are watching, seeing what's going on with this stag do, half of them have switched off to me, and in your head, every image is... The two towers coming down, Mercedes getting smacked into tunnels in Paris, every single thing, you know, the, the, the classic footage from the Vietnam War, everything coming into your head, that's all you can see, you feel, you hear the Spitfire just crashing and burning right beside you, and you have that overwhelming sense of being... You're never so aware of yourself. <laughs> you know, you, you're like, it's like that whole time in school when all the big boys just stand around you and just point at you and call your names and all that. Did you do your time? I did my t- I did. I was supposed to do 20. I think I did 16, which considering uh, that was about 12 minutes of, of silence, <laughs> I'm up there sort of doing it and that, that sort of overwhelming sort of self-awareness is just hitting you and the silence is like a wall. It's that song, the Sa- Simon Garfunkel, Sound of Silence. No comedian knows the sound of silence because there is no silence like that. It's just incredibly overwhelming. And then, talking about sounds, I I left the stage to the sound that no comedian or entertainer ever wants to leave the the stage to. The sound of my own footsteps. (laughs) Clip, clip, clip as you walk off the stage and the solitary... I mean, you'd rather get no clap (laughs) than that one clap for probably the barman. And the worst is yet to come. Because you've got to go in the green room and sit with your peers and just... It's, it's, there's no feeling like it. You can't look anyone in the eye. You just want to get home. Of course, the next day you wait the whole day for the phone call. Because Jonders, if you've died in your hole, normally the next day you get the call saying, oh, well, you know, we've thought about it. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we're thinking maybe it might not be a good idea to have you on tonight. Phone call never came. Brilliant. Yes, the call didn't come. No, this time. And the comedian, he lives to fight another day. And that wee death is just hanging about ready to pounce any minute. So, a big thank you for the ten comedians who told us all about their horrible deaths in totally different ways. That's all from me, Des McLean, for this week's Streetcast 12. Remember, keep up to date on Twitter and Facebook, and I'll see you next time. I've never died.